Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Fight hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Welcome to the Waco History Podcast. I'm Randy Lane, great-grandson of Waco architect Roy E. Lane. Over a hundred years ago, he designed the Alico Building, Hippodrome, and other well-known landmarks. My co-host, Dr. Stephen Sloan of Baylor's Oral History Institute, is helping me learn Waco's known and unknown stories. On this episode, Stephen goes on Downtown Depot with Austin Meek. It's been neat for people who have lived here their whole lives to say, oh, I never knew that or I didn't realize that. On our last podcast, we did a collaboration with a couple of other Waco podcasters, Garrett Simmons of the Wacoans podcast and Austin Meek of Downtown Depot. Well, Austin recently had Stephen on his show. They talk about how the Waco History Podcast got started, the Waco History app, and because it just won Best Picture at the Oscars, Green Book locations around Waco. Your view of traveling through Waco is very different from much of Waco's history depending on what color your skin is. If you aren't already subscribed, I highly recommend finding Downtown Depot in your podcatcher of choice or listen to the show on the first and third Fridays of the month at 11.30 a.m. on 103.3 KWBU. And now, here's Austin and Steven. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio I'm now joined in studio by Dr. Stephen Sloan. Dr. Sloan is an associate professor of history at Baylor and also the director of the Institute for Oral History at the university. Welcome to Downtown Depot. Thanks, Austin. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about your Waco history. Uh, so I, as you, you acknowledge both my hats, so I teach in the history department, so I'm interested uh, in U.S. history, but I'm especially interested in local history. Uh, and then at the Institute for Oral History, we do interview projects related to a lot of different topics. But one thing we've always interviewed on is McLennan and uh, Waco history. We've got over a thousand interviews and our collection related to local history on pretty much any topic you can think of. And so I became interested a few years ago when I came back to Waco, uh, the fact that we didn't have a local history museum uh, that interpreted Waco's history. Uh, we had a soft drink museum. We had a uh, mammoth museum. We had all these neat institutions, but I, I thought Waco's a place that really needs a fuller understanding of its history. And uh, because I am a uh, educator, I can't build a bricks and mortar solution to that. But Waco History, which is WacoHistory.org, became a tool to use to tell some of these great stories of our past and share some of the great digital images from the Texas Collection, who's a partner on the project, and get some of these voices out of our archives that we have in our oral history recordings and share those as well. You were a student at Baylor as an undergraduate and also did grad work here. Did you live in Waco before going to school, or what brought you to Baylor initially? So I came to Baylor in 86, and that was back in the time. That's just what all good Baptists did. Um, when you graduated from high school, you went to Baylor. And so I was in Waco uh, from 86 to 90, met my wife here. Uh, but 
much like many Baylor students, I didn't have much of a notion of Waco as a community. And so it's really been, since I've been back since 2007, an opportunity to kind of explore this place, which historically it's a fascinating place. I had J.B. Smith from the Waco trip on Downtown Depot. Now it was probably last year. But he said that in the news world, Waco for its size really punches above its weight. It's really considered a terrific news town even though it is small in stature. But it seems like there have been terrific stories coming out of this area of Central Texas for long before the Waco trip was even here recording them. There has been, and I appreciate JB because he writes with a historical mindset. He does. He's a historian uh, who's a journalist or a journalist who's a historian. But I think that's true. I think there's some great Waco stories and great local things that, that people just don't know about. And so... This tool and then the podcast that uh, Randy came to me and we developed last fall, the Waco History Podcast, offer kind of an opportunity to explore some of that history together. And so it's been neat for people who have lived here their whole lives to say, oh, I never knew that or I didn't realize that and become and have a greater appreciation for our local history. Because I also think Waco, uh, people have very narrow associations with Waco nationally. And so it's it's great to also see usership of both the podcast and the app uh, internationally. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure they come to Waco with a certain idea of what Waco is and the history of Waco, but they leave with a much fuller understanding, a much richer understanding of who we are as a community. On this excellent podcast that you host with Randy Lane, who is a grandson or great-grandson? Great-grandson, of, Randy, uh, yeah, of Roy E. Lane, the ar- local architect. And Randy and you have been diving into Waco's history. Randy is a guy who served in the Navy and had ties to the area but doesn't know a lot about Waco. And so you're there to sort of be the educational insight and walk Randy through some really cool topics and pieces of Waco history Recently, you guys discussed Waco 20 million years ago, I think it was, um, and we're talking about you know not 20 million, but we're talking about mammoths that were in this area, saber-toothed cats that they found there at the Waco Mammoth site. There are stories for anyone when you look at Waco, depending on what your interest level might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Waco's always been a crossroads. You know, it's always been geographically this crossroads and I would say culturally, economically, it's always been very central in that sort of crossing point. And so because of that, there's a lot of stories that are of national importance that somehow cross the story of Waco as well. And so, yeah, it's it's fun to explore these together. Randy brings the whole skill set. He's the podcaster. I'm just a guy who likes history. Tell me about Waco in the 1800s. So the Waco Indians, if I remember correctly, were an offshoot of the Wichita tribe and had migrated down south. And they were living in this area in the 17 and 1800s? They, they, we don't know exactly when they begin to move into the area, but they're, they're, they actually probably move in to more of the late 1700s, early 1800s. And so they they were fairly recent arrivals into the area, and the the encampment as far as the main encampment uh, of the Waco Indians was over kind of on uh, Waco Drive there, Waco Drive near kind of that Sixth Street area. There, there's beautiful elms over there in that area now, uh, and so yeah, they're 
they were an interesting tribe. Didn't use the river that much, but were here because of the great springs that existed in this area. Uh, and so I think every group that's come through has seen kind of the benefits of kind of settling in this area. You obviously have an intimate look at Waco's history and know it better possibly than anyone else on planet Earth right now. When you look at the last, say, 200, 250 years of Waco history, do you have a favorite moment or a favorite story? That's an impossible question to answer, Austin. But you're try do you have a favorite answer. child? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it changes all the time because I continue to learn more. Uh, one of the things I love about my job is I'm never going to know all of it. And so just the opportunity to continually be in, in the role of student. So James Andrew Harris, which I've been researching lately, who's an African-American from here, from here in town, went to A.J. Moore Academy. He's the first African-American to participate in the discovery of new elements that are on the periodic table. And so I love the fact that that's here, that has a connection to here. Uh, I worry sometimes we think about history as happening in other places. And we, we know about uh, George Washington Carver, but let's know about James Andrew Harris as well because it's got a local tie. It's something extremely interested in that happened right here in town. And so those sort of local connections and the ways in which this place is connected to bigger and larger things and, and bigger and larger phenomenon I find endlessly interesting. You had mentioned earlier that there wasn't a history museum in Waco. You know, we have the Dr. Pepper Museum and, of course, the Shrine to Chip and Joanna there. Great institutions. I see that there's that building, the Taylor Museum over off Waco Street – or Waco Drive, rather. What is that and is there any hopes for it being reopened? Actually, Randy and I sit, sat down with Helen Marie Taylor in December. I did an interview with her for – Future possible, future possible podcast, uh, and it closed in the late 1990s over some disagreements of funding, and there's really no near prospect of it being reopened. Um, just in visiting with her about it, there's not a plan for it to be reopened anytime soon, and so it's a shame. I feel like uh, even though we've done this digital history project, I would love for it at some point to go to inform some physical exhibits and some space that we can all go at, some, some community space where we can all go to uh, and enjoy kind of our shared history. What kind of artifacts are in the Taylor Museum right now? Well, it is a little bit of a mix. It's got uh, the, uh, Bobby Barnes' Cotton Palace Dress Collection, so these Cotton Palace dresses uh, from back in the day, the Cotton Palace, which was a huge event here in town. Uh, it's got the uh, bell from the Dory Miller uh, which was a ship named in, in memory of Dory Miller. Um, it's got uh, some some artifacts from the Branch Davidian trials, uh, a mock-up of the compound that's there. It's got a vest of George Washington in it, and so it's Zachary Taylor's bed. So it's a, li it's a little bit of a, a mix of different kind of historical elements related to local history, but also some that relate to national history. So it's not just in the purview of Waco. It's really American history. It's not. It's much It's much broader than that. And so there's definitely some uh, things in Waco that it could develop more, but I think kids that went there got to see a broad uh, kind of picture of American history as well. You're hearing from Dr. Stephen Sloan here on Downtown Depot. Even outside of the Taylor Museum, the Waco History app, which is free and able for you to download, 
is an incredible resource. And I love walking in downtown, pulling up the app, seeing my location on the map, and then I can see photos of the building that used to be there or audio recordings of the janitor who used to sweep the floors. How did this idea of recording or you know compiling all of this history into an app come about? Well, I justified it by the fact that I have this huge oral history collection. Um, and what's happened in recent years, uh, Texas Collection, my partner on the project, has this huge photographic collection. So while they've been digitizing their photographs, I've been digitizing my analog audio. And so these things in many ways became available in a digital form for the first time. And so Waco History offered a way for all that to kind of come together and present it to new audiences. And so uh, we started it about four years ago. Now we've got about 170 entries on it. I was confessing that I now see pins on the map as I drive through town. I think of things as we got a pin there, we got a pin there, or we need a pin there. And so it's it's in telling these stories, and they're place-based stories, are much more than Wikipedia entries. And so I would encourage folks to use it. That's why we built it. You were the past president of the National Oral History Association. Why are oral histories as a medium so important? I think oral history is important on a lot of different levels. One, there's a lot of people that are left out of the historical record. Uh, the historical record is not neutral. Uh, there's some people that are over-documented, and there's others that are under-documented. And history is also so much the way in which we perceive it. Uh, someone asked me to do a Waco history lecture. One question I'll ask them is, what perspective do you want it from? Because it depends on what perspective your experience waking at Waco history. It could be a radically different history. And so oral history allows us a way to capture those perspectives, to capture people's first-person experiences, uh, the way they want to share them and the way they want to present them. And the only way I can understand your view, Austin, and the way in which you perceive life is by you trying to explain it to me. And oral history offers that opportunity. And we can learn from it. In the news recently, fresh off of its award-winning best picture, is The Green Book. And it's a movie that's in theaters right now, but this was a real living document, an important part of lives of African-Americans in the mid-20th century. And there were some Green Book locations in Waco. Yes. Yeah, The one of the things on the app is the College View Hotel, uh, which was up uh, near uh, Paul Quinn College, what was Paul Quinn College then. In fact, it's just north of Garrison Street there if you're driving north on your right. Uh, one thing I've got laying in my office is a little pink tile that I, that I took from the kind of the remnants of the College View Hotel that are there. But yeah, there were these locations that, and that connects directly, Austin, to perspective. Your view of traveling through Waco is very different uh, from much of Waco's history, depending on what color your skin is. And so that makes that history very different and, and make that makes that perspective very different. So oral history offers a way to kind of capture that. Uh, how else could I understand these viewpoints or how different individuals have experienced history unless they try to explain it to me? It seems like East Waco is in the news all the time now with the resurgence of the Elm Avenue corridor and on a podcast that you and I recorded a few weeks ago together along with Garrett Simmons of the Wacoans and your podcast partner Randy Lane. We talked about East Waco and its past and present and future. Can you give our listeners a quick overview of what East Waco was and why, when you look at it now, seems like a decrepit corridor. 
that this was really a hub for not just African-Americans, but even before that, a hub for Waco. Yeah. And I, as we think about responsible development, I think responsible development is historically minded. And so I think we keep our past in mind. The past is not a mistake. It's our identity. And we, we think about that as we move toward trying to do things in the future. One of my favorite things in town right now is the Waco High Lofts. I love that adaptive reuse where it's acknowledging our history. And we still have a historical artifact there where some may have said, let's scrape it off the map and build something new. There's ways to develop with an appreciation of history that I think is extremely powerful. But you were asking about East Waco. So East Waco, uh, traditionally the color line in East Waco was up on Garrison Street. Uh, There was the hill uh, and there were the flats, that area down lower up Garrison Street as you move down toward the river. So if we think that that area corresponding Elm Avenue, those housing developments there. And traditionally the color line was up on the hill, and so those brick houses that are down Dallas Street, uh, Rust Street, and others were primarily white housing, a white middle-class housing. And if we think about Waco's landscape, um, traditionally Bridge Street, which would have been on the other side of the suspension bridge, was an African-American business district, a very active African-American business district. And so a lot changes in kind of reordering uh, the color line in Waco, um, everything from the tornado contributing to it to urban renewal, uh, which contributes to it greatly, to white flight uh, that contributes to it as whites are moving out of the downtown area to suburban areas. African-Americans move into that flat area to get some of those nicer homes, some of those nicer brick homes. Moving out of shotgun houses and other other wooden homes that would have been up on the hill. What can we take from studying Waco's past that helps inform its future? I think what we can learn is uh, more voices need to be listened to. I think we need, need to listen to the full community. Waco, much like other southern slash western towns, hasn't done a great job of listening to the full community at times in deciding how development goes. And so I think we can learn that there are these different rich areas of town and there's different perspectives there that need to be heard as we move forward with development. Are there parts of Waco history in particular that you're thinking of that it would have been really nice had there been a more diverse set of perspectives discussed? Well, I, I think particularly with urban renewal, which is not talked about a lot, it really clears out uh, a lot of um, African-American neighborhoods, Mexican-American neighborhoods. These are primarily renters in substandard housing, uh, but it's devastating to these communities and it dissipates these communities. And so I think of moments like that, that could it offer an opportunity to dream about different possibilities for development ended up just with the wrecking ball. And that was a program that was pretty crippling to a lot of communities across the country. Uh, it was. It, I mean, it, it, it comes out of this uh, panic over urban deterioration. Um, but, I mean, it, it's, it wasn't looking for creative solutions. Um, it was looking for simple solutions. As you look into 2019 and the work you're wanting to continue at Baylor, what's something on your plate right now that's really intriguing to you? Uh, well, with the with the app, we're looking to continue development, uh, develop it. I'm looking t- 
to do particularly more on, we've been doing a lot of African-American history and Latino-Latina history here locally. So developing a lot of that and also looking at local businesses, uh, I think as Waco becomes a place that sometimes we measure its progress by do we have a this and do we have a this like everyone else has. I think we need to celebrate and lift up some of these local businesses that have been here for a long time and uh, with Waco's ups and downs have always been part of the community. Like which businesses are you talking about? Um, there's a local. There's a lot of local restaurants uh, that we highlight on the app. There's a lot of um, local businesses. I don't know that I want to name any, uh, but there's a lot of local businesses that I think could deserve more attention. If I'm someone who is new to Waco or I'm not even particularly interested in history, why is listening to the Waco History Podcast or downloading the app and checking into my surroundings, why is that important for me and how can that help build my sense of place and community? Yeah, I don't think you know where you are until you know where you've been. Um, I mean, your place matters. Place is extremely important. And so I think having an appreciation of the history of the place that you're in, um, I think of the moment that we're in as a nation, context is extremely important, but it's often something that we ignore and we don't think about. And so I think looking at our history gives you a context. Um, I think it helps deepen your roots in your community. It gives you more of an appreciation uh, for where you live and where you're engaged. I think it makes you a better citizen. Uh, I, think, I think it makes you a better neighbor. And so I think there's all sorts of reasons to do it. I know we're uh, worried about the future and preoccupied with the present, but I think taking some time to, to focus on the past is extremely important. Dr. Stephen Sloan, Director of the Institute for Oral History at Baylor University, thank you so much for coming on Downtown Depot. Thanks for having me, Austin. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. We'll see you next time. As he dropped the guns that she hated In the muddy Brazos below Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'll walk straight in old San Antonio Then the night came alive with gunfire He knew that at last it'd been found As the ranger's badge showed brightly El Bandito lay on the ground Carmela knew he was dying That all of her dreams were in vain As she kissed his lips for the last time She heard him whisper again Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco 
I'm safe when I reach San Antonio. I'm safe when I reach San Antonio.